Hey, we're in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5 today, and then we'll take a, we'll take a quick detour to talk about Christmas the next few weeks and talk about uh, missions and our heart for that, uh, that comes from God's Word. Just a couple of quick announcements. Today at the end of the service, we will have a quick uh, special called Family Conference to vote on our budget uh, for this next year, so that'll just take us a couple minutes at the end. But also at the end of our service, after the sermon, we'll be we're going to have a special time uh, during December to collect our world mission offering and watch a video and, and see where that money goes to and, and how it impacts the world with the gospel. So um, we have been in the book of Ephesians for a little while, if you don't remember. Uh, I was out last week. Thank you for letting me be gone. We were at a, a wedding in Austin, but um, I, th- I heard Steve did all right. Y'all didn't call him as your pastor, so I guess he didn't do that great. Uh, but uh, just kidding. I love Steve Brazil. Um, but we've been in the book of Ephesians, and we're in chapter 5 as Paul is talking about um, how we walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's how do we live out the gospel? How do we live out our faith? We're not just uh, a believing people, although we are that. We are a people that are living out our faith. And so he's detailing different ways that we are to live out our faith. In chapter 5, He's talking about our walk, how we walk, how we live. And he talked about walking in love two weeks ago. Last week, Steve talked about walking in the light. Today, we're talking about walking in wisdom, walking in wisdom. Some have described wisdom as skill in godly living, skill in godly living. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is not just head knowledge. It's knowing how to live. And godly wisdom is knowing how to live in a godly way. And we are called to live in this, right? This takes time. We are not born with wisdom. God grants us wisdom for sure. It takes experience. This doesn't come naturally to us. My kids are not naturally wise. If I ask them what should we eat for dinner, they don't necessarily make wise choices. If I put a lot of, I love the Christmas or the experiment with kids where they put a bowl of candy in front of them and they video it and they walk away and they go, don't eat it till I come back. And what does every kid on that video do? Yeah, because they're not wise. They grab the candy as soon as the parents are gone, right? We need experience. We need knowledge, but wisdom takes intentionality too, takes intentionality to put off our flesh and to walk in the Spirit, to, to fill our minds with God's words so that we know what is right and good and true. And wisdom takes uh, allowing our lives to not be controlled by anything else but by God. So let's read it together this morning, Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15. It says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let me pray. God, we thank you for this, this truth. And we thank you for the Spirit. We thank you for the Word. 
God, and we thank you that we are not in the dark about what it means to live in wisdom. God, you have clearly revealed it to us. And I pray that we would be um, obedient to live out the truth that we believe, to live out the gospel in our lives, God. May we um, know you more because of what is preached today, God, and may we love you more. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. Let's start there. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He says to look carefully. Uh, You could translate it, pay attention. Like live with intentionality. And this is a truth this morning that's outside of (laughs) biblical truth, but we all pay attention to the things that matter to us. Uh, Some people care about sports and pay attention to scores, right? They want to know how the Cowboys are doing. Uh, In in my family, I care about food. Maddie doesn't really care about food, right? And so I pay attention to food. I look carefully, and I don't mind spending 12 hours sitting by a smoker because I know at the end of that 12 hours what's going to happen. I'm going to get to feast on a brisket, right? That would be... That would be the most wasted 12 hours of your life, right? But if you could spend 12 hours with people, man, that would just fill you up, right? Me, probably not. I'm just going to be honest, right? We pay attention to and we give time to and we give thought to and we give energy to the things that matter to us and things that we think are important. And so what he, when he says, look carefully, Christians, how we live matters, How we conduct ourselves matters. Uh, How we live our lives matters. It should be important. We should not just live haphazard, random lives, just doing whatever, right? No, we are to be intentional. We are to be uh, living not just sloppy, uh, all over the place lives. No, he says, look carefully. And he says, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise. And he, he uses unwise And he's describing those uh, that really don't know Christ. He's describing those that he's described earlier that live in futility and in ignorance and in folly and vice and in darkness. He says, don't live like that. Just as he says, don't live as the Gentiles. He says, live as wise. Live with this skill of, of godliness Uh, This is a skill that takes time. It takes careful reflection on God's word to know, how do I live as an employee? How do I respond in this situation? How do I parent well? How do I, whatever, coach little dribblers well? How do I interact with in-laws? All those things, all those difficult questions of life, right? How do we do that? And he lays out a few principles for us. He's not going to give us all the details. But the first thing he says is that we are to make the best use of time. We are to make the best use of time. Some some of your translations may say redeeming the time, purchasing back the time. Uh, But what it means is that we are making the most of every opportunity that we've been given. Making the most of every opportunity that we've been given. We're not just, uh, those who don't do this are lazy, right? They're just kind of, We'll just kind of see what happens. No, we're not meant to be like that. 
those people that don't make the best use of time are unintentional. They don't have purposeful conversations or purposeful decisions. He says that, that we are to make the best use of time. We're to, to live our lives for the sake of Christ. We're not to just waste our time on this earth. And why? What does he say? He says, because the days are evil. Because the day, why, why is that the reason that we should make the most of our time? Well, I mean, there's, there's probably a lot of reasons. The days are evil, and we shouldn't be surprised by this. Sometimes I hear Christians like, I just can't believe how wicked the world is. Duh. Right? They don't know Jesus. Right? That's literally what they know. They're just living it out. They have no concept. If they don't believe in God, of course. Right? We shouldn't be surprised that the days are evil. And it's, but it's so easy for us to just drift into following the course of this world or following the pattern of those around us, right? He says we are to make the most of our time. We're to, we're to look like Christ. We're to image Christ on this earth because the days are evil and we are meant to be, like Steve talked about last week, a light in the darkness. He says don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. Don't be a fool. Don't lack common sense. Don't be ignorant. But understand the will of the Lord. This is a command. He tells us to understand the will of the Lord. Uh, there's so many of us have spent some season of our life or some situation in our life going, man, what is God's will in this situation? And sometimes God's will can feel so beyond us that we just I don't know I don't know what to do I don't know who to marry I don't know what school to go to I you know right this God's will can paralyze us in fear but he tells us here we are meant to understand God's will he does not mean here that this we need to know all that God knows God is limitless he has all knowledge and he is capable of understanding all things He's not telling us, you need to know all of that. No. What are we meant to know? We are meant to know God's revealed will. We are meant to know and understand God's revealed will. God has revealed his will to us. There are so many statements in the New Testament, and this is the will of the Lord. Your sanctification, to be thankful. There's so many things that are revealed that we are to know. He's not putting this, you've got to know everything God knows. When I was in college um, at, at A&M, there's a Bible study on campus called Breakaway, and there's like, whatever, like 10,000 people that go to it or something. It's crazy. Uh, but the, the guy that led it when I was in college, his name was Ben Stewart, and I remember him, he, he used this phrase all the time, and he would say, uh, when talking about God's will, that we are to excel at the revealed things. We are to excel at the revealed things. And what he was saying was, there's so many things that aren't revealed. And we spend so much time worried about this and that. And he's like, we need to just excel at the revealed things. We need to know, if we just spend our life trying to do this, trying to live this out, all that other stuff, we've got enough to do right here. We need to excel at what has been revealed. Now, when it comes to these questions of God's will in our life and wisdom, what does it take? One, it takes that we need to know God's word. We need to know what it says, but it also takes community. 
Like if you're making massive life decisions only by yourself, just in a room, I'm not so sure that that's what God wants. Proverbs says there's wisdom and an abundance of counselors, right? We need a community that's helping us go, yeah, this is good, or uh, that doesn't seem quite right, right? Understanding God's will is, yes, knowing Scripture. Yes, it's community. We need both to understand the will of the Lord and to excel at the revealed things. That's part of what it means to live in wisdom. It's that we don't waste time. And we understand the will of the Lord. Let's look at verse 18. He says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I think that's how you say that word. Debauchery? Am I saying that right? I come to that word every time and think, I don't know how to say this. But if you sound confident, people just believe you, right? So, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. One way that we will live unwise lives is if we are drunk. If we are drunk with wine. Because I don't know if you've been around drunk people much recently, but drunk people are not thinking, man, how could I really honor God in this moment? Man, how could I live a very intentional life right now? Drunk people are not pondering, how could I glorify God with this? Right? They're not. Why? Because they're being controlled by something else. And they are not in control of their mind. They're not able to make the choice to go, how could I make the most use of time? How could I honor God? How could I understand the will of the Lord? Drunk people don't ponder existential questions of life. Drunk people are just drunk. They're controlled by something else. And drunkenness, as he lays out, is a clear way to live an unwise life. I want to be clear here. The Bible speaks of alcohol and wine in particular in lots of different ways. There's a lot, it is addressed in many different ways. In the Old Testament, there's a lot of conversation about how wine is a, is a blessing from the Lord. It's, it brings joy to the heart. But there are countless warnings about being controlled by it. There are more warnings and more uh, commands to be careful with it than there are that say, this is a good thing, right? And so there are, uh, Proverbs 21 says that those who are led astray by wine are not wise. This is the tendency of alcohol. It's not just that you have one, but it controls you and you got to have two and you got to have ten, right? And then you're not making the most of time, you're not living a wise life. And so we should approach wine, alcohol, all of that very cautiously. And what we may find is that the wisest thing is that we never ever venture that way because we know we don't have self-control. We know that we, we are prone to be led astray by it. We are prone to be consumed by it. And if you know that about yourself, you know you don't have that self-control, don't walk down that path, right? That's what he's saying. We would do well to choose that path and not allow wine a foothold in our life. Now, I fully believe that self-control is a gift of the Spirit. And there are some that totally, absolutely could practice self-control when it comes to wine. And I think it could be God glorifying. I'm not and I don't. 
But what is very clear in the scripture, and we'll just speak about what is very clear, is that we are not to be drunk. We are not to allow something else to control us besides the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And so if in your life a little dabble leads to drunkenness, don't even dabble. Don't even walk down that road. Because it leads you to places you never wanted to go and takes you further than you ever wanted to go, right? What is clear is that we are not to be drunk. And do not use your freedom to harm your brother and your sister. He says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Debauchery means uh, reckless living, reckless abandon, wild living. And what he's saying is, if we are living uh, in the control of wine, it leads to all sorts of reckless living. That is not wise. Right? I think you think you gotta think of the prodigal son, the younger son. What he did when he took his father's inheritance and went off, he lived in debauchery. He spent it all, he wasted it all, he had all the experience, he had all the things, right? And that led him to a life of not honoring God, not making the most of his time, not living wisely. That's what he says. We are not to be drunk because it leads to all sorts of other things. He says, but instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones is an old British preacher. Um, Great, great read if you're looking for an old British preacher to read uh, this Christmas season. Uh, But Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his sermon, talking about this passage He talks about uh, that if you go read anything about alcohol, if you go read anything about it in the medical literature, that alcohol is a depressant, right? It depresses our our brain's ability to to practice self-control. It depresses our ability to uh, uh, have wisdom, to have understanding, to have judgment, to have balance, right? It, It suppresses that, depresses that, I think is the right word. It's a depressant. And he says that the Holy Spirit is the opposite. The Holy Spirit is a stimulant. We are not meant to be depressed, but we are meant to be stimulated. Our our mind's ability to think is to be stimulated by the Spirit. Our ability to reason is to be stimulated by the Spirit. Our, Our balance, everything is to be stimulated, not to be depressed, not to be limited. And that's why he says, don't be controlled by wine. Be controlled by the Spirit. Don't be filled with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. We as Christians are not meant to fill our bodies with that which has, does not have our best interest in mind. We should fill ourselves with the Spirit that has our best interest, leads us to life, stimulates our ability, leads us to use our gifts. All right, that's a wise life. Being controlled by the Spirit, being controlled by God's Word, not being controlled by a substance. And what are the results when the Spirit fills us? He lays out three things here at the end. Singing, giving thanks, and submitting. Let's look at verse 19. You can can calm down. I'm not talking about alcohol anymore. All right. Sorry. Verse 19. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. I find this so interesting that he commands us to sing. 
I mean, kind of a funny thing, right? We think of singing as a talent. We think of it as a, a gift that some people have. And we all know people that don't have that gift, right? Amen. Some of them sit behind you in church. Just kidding. Uh, he commands us to sing. He doesn't really make it optional. He says that we should, what? Address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, here's, here's the danger, I think, as modern American Christians and how we approach music. And many a church has approached music in a way that leads to division and lack of relationship and all sorts of stuff, is that we make music about us. We make music about us. Man, I really love that song. Man, I really hated that song. Man, I really love how I feel when I sing that song. Or man, I didn't get anything out of that song, right? And we're talking about the same songs. Music, we have made it about us. As if singing and hearing songs is about us at all. What does he say in this passage? He says that our singing is about two things and it has nothing to do with us. It's about one another and it's about God. We sing, duh, we sing to God. But I don't know if you saw it, but he says addressing who? One another. We sing for one another. That's why the kids get up here today and yeah, they're singing praise to God, but they're singing to us. And they're reminding us of the truth. And they're pointing us to the, the, the goodness of God and the, the faithfulness of God. Right? That's why we sing. It's not just so that we fill up 30 minutes so the preacher only has 30 minutes to talk, right? That's not why we schedule half the service full of songs. We do it because we're told to. It's, it's about addressing one another, he says, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so singing is really about fellowship. Singing is about community. Singing is about one another. And it's about God, too. It's about singing praise to God and reminding each other of the truth. We are to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing is not just for the professionals. Singing is not just for the gifted. Singing is for every one of us who are gospel people. And he puts a melody in our heart so that we would sing to one another and we would sing to God. Singing is not about our quality. He says that we are to, to make melody to the Lord with your heart, not with your mouth. And Mitchell Walker where reminds me of this, right? That it's not about the quality. It's not about the giftedness. It's about the heart. It's about our joy before the Lord. It's about the, the we can't help but overflow in praise. Singing is from the heart, and we sing to one another, and we sing to God. That's what it means to live wisely. Look at verse 20. He says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are walking in wisdom are thankful people, not grumbling people. If we're walking in wisdom, if we're walking and living out the gospel, we are, we are meant to be thankful people, not grumbling people. Those who are wise know that God is in control. God is above all and over all. And we talked about it this morning in our life group. Our view of God determines how we live. And if our view of God is that he's just not met my expectations, 
Then we'll be a grumbling people, not a thankful people. If our view of God is that he's not really present or he's not in control or he's not, all, he's not loving or he's not uh, all-powerful or whatever, then we will not be a thankful people. But if we view God rightly, that he is in control and he is all-powerful and all-knowing and, and has a plan and has a purpose, then we will be what? We will be a thankful people. He says, giving thanks always and for everything. Right? We're, we're not just thankful for the good things. We're not just thankful for the blessings. We're also thankful for the things that maybe don't go our way or fit our expectations And those who are unwise grumble because they think that God has let them down. John Stott says, the grumbling spirit is not compatible with the Holy Spirit. The grumbling spirit is not compatible with the Holy Spirit. Thankfulness is a a defining mark of wisdom. Because it shows that we have a Godward focus of our hearts and our lives. Our focus is not on our circumstances, not on what went right today or what didn't go right but if we're a thankful people in our hearts, it's because our eyes are on Jesus. And lastly, 21, he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, we as modern Americans don't like this word to submit. We don't like authority. We don't like to be told what to do. We are proud of our, you know, our individuality. We're proud of our ability to make decisions for ourselves and our ability to to do what we want to do. We're proud of our leadership. We're proud of our, our, our position. But part of living a wise life is that we submit to one another. One, this means that we have to have a one another. There has to be one another to submit to. He's talking to the church. He's given this to a gospel people, not just to gospel individuals. And if we're all alone, if we're, if we're just, you know, Lone Ranger Christianity, there's no one to obey this command with. There's no one to submit to because it's just us and God. And that's not God's plan at all. We are to submit to one another. Some people who claim to be filled with the Spirit become aggressive and become brash and they become domineering and controlling. But this is not the way God would have it, even for leaders, even for for pastors, even for anybody. That the more we are in relationship with Christ, the more we're called to submit to one another in gentleness and in meekness to express the fruit of the Spirit. This is what he says in Philippians 2. He says, count what others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Part of being wise is that we believe in one another. And we believe that sometimes that means we don't get our way. Sometimes we don't have to have it our way. Probably most of the time we don't get our way. Right? We're, doing, we're trying to do what's best for one another. We're trying to honor God in the one another, not just what we want or what I think. Submitting means that we listen and we understand each other. We try to gain perspective and we, try to, we worry about the relationship more than being right, more than being on top, more than having the best idea. 
And he says this is out of reverence for Christ. The reason we submit to one another is out of reverence or fear or respect of Christ. If we aren't submitted to God first, we won't submit to one another. If we aren't submitted to his word, we won't submit to one another. We won't do what's best for one another. We'll do what's best for us. We'll be controlled by selfish desires. Man, and I'm preaching this to me as much as you, that we're called to submit to one another because we are submitted to Christ, that he is Lord and he is over all, and he knows all. And these things are countercultural. And the point today is this is that the gospel continues to change us. It affects our marriages. It affects our relationships. It affects our church. It affects how we we use our time. It affects how we consume substances. It affects what words and songs come out of our mouth. It affects everything. This is the point of the last half of Ephesians, is that the gospel changes us completely. We're not meant to stay as the old person. We're meant to grow in godliness. And these are just some of the ways that we're called to grow. And we're called to grow in wisdom. Let me pray. And then we'll close our service a little differently today. God, I pray this morning for uh, wisdom. James tells us that if any of you lacks wisdom, to ask. And God will give it freely. And so we ask that you would help us to walk in wisdom. Help us to know how to spend our time. God, help us to know how to relate to substances, God, and food and drink and all those things. God, help us to know how to use our words and and how to understand your will. God, help us to know how to relate to one another in the church. God, help us to know who you are so that we can be a thankful people, not a grumbling people. God, I pray that you would make us wise through your word and through your spirit. God, and may we live our lives to glorify you because of the change you've made in us. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.